welcome back to the What the Fork Sunderland Preview Podcast. It's been three defeats in a row for Sunderland, and that's piled the pressure on Sunderland. And of course, Phil Parkinson's pressure has absolutely ramped up to the, I would say, boiling point. However, it doesn't get much easier for Sunderland this weekend as we face a solid and steady Doncaster overside away from home. And to discuss this weekend's game with myself is Adam from Doncaster Fansite, Into the Empty Net. How are you doing, Adam? Are you all right? I'm all right. Thank you, Graham. Unbeknown to the internet, we've spoken about four times previously, haven't we? <laughs> Indeed, yes. It's uh, one thing or another. It's just never got out there to the world, has it? It hasn't, but like unbeknown to everyone listening to this, we th- they think we're strangers. We're actually best mates. <laughs> best ever. Well, you're my favourite Doncaster fan, but you're my only one. Well, so I don't you. know if it's a backhanded compliment. But um, we'll, we'll go straight into it. Darren Moore is a guy that I really like as a person. I think he's a really good manager. He's been in charge for, you could say, a good spell of time, especially in modern day. Currently has you in 10th, but what are Donny fans making of, of Darren Moore at the minute? Yeah, I mean, he's he's pretty much universally popular around these parts. Um, you know, since he came in as manager, he, he's done a great job, really fostered a, a positive uh, attitude around the club, I suppose. All of the players really seem to buy into to his philosophies. Um, we play good football, which I think for the fans, uh, I know most clubs will be the same, but um, ever since Sean O'Driscoll's days in charge, I think the fans have kind of demanded and expected a certain standard of football at least for this level and uh you know managers before who've not met that people like Paul Dickov and uh at times Darren Ferguson I suppose you know it's been easy to get on their backs but Darren Moore his sides try and play football the right way um you know it tries to be attacking uh but also sensible and pragmatic you know it's not to the to the detriment of defense and obviously Darren was a defender himself um you know he's been here a year and a bit now and I, and I can't think of any real bad spells uh you know, uh, we were a little bit inconsistent, I think, at best of times. But, you know, in terms of Darren Moore, his, his attitude, his, his playing style, everything he brings in is great. And he's certainly got the ear of a lot of top clubs, you know, to get them young players in on loan. Uh, he's come through the academy system as a coach himself. So that's a big benefit as well. I think players often, they do want to come and play for him. Yeah, and I think, you know what, I think a lot of people, when you mention the name Darren Moore, maybe in the... The, the whole spectrum of things, maybe not League One people, championship fans, premiership fans will look at what he did at West Brom. And I think people were quite surprised he got sacked from there. And although West Brom went on and got promoted under Billich, I think West Brom, when he was in charge, was a bit different. So he came with a good pedigree anyway, quite surprised in the second. Um, do you worry that you might lose him anytime soon or do you think he's here for the long haul? Yeah, I mean, I think any manager that has that kind of reputation, with, um, just from a higher level, you know, he spent most of his playing career in Championship and in Premier League. Yeah, it's always a worry. And, and I think uh, a few jobs have come up recently that we've thought, oh, maybe he'll he'll get a look in there. Sheffield Wednesday, I know Derby jobs available at the minute. He used to play for Derby. But the, the thing with Darren is he, he really seems to buy into the, the whole club philosophy. And, and when he joined, he really talked up the uh, Club Doncaster model that we've got where we're, we're integrated with the rugby team and with the women's team. Um, and because Darren was here for a player in the 90s as well, um, as a spell he knows the town he knows the area um, he was happy to come and, and move up here as well from where he was based down in Birmingham um, so in terms of Darren himself I, I would have no worries about him staying for, for the project for the long term uh, obviously his ability is it's the only thing that might take him away is that he is that that well sought after I think and well thought of in football in this country that eventually a team might come in with an offer that he can't refuse and, and that would be fair enough I suppose as long as they are you know, an upwardly mobile club doing things the right way and, you know, probably in the championship, then, yeah, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if he went. He's probably the first manager we've had since since O'Driscoll, really, 
I know Dean Saunders went to Wolves and left us, but first manager since O'Driscoll, where we are regularly thinking, well, he might end up being too good for his end. But yeah, for now, he seems pretty happy. Last time I said that about a manager, the scary thing for you lot listening in is that I said that to the Swindon fan about Richie Willens. I said, is he going to go you know, somewhere higher up? And he ended up going to Salford about two weeks later. So hopefully for you lot, I haven't uh, cursed you, fingers crossed. But um, no, you know what? I, I think Darren McGuire from <clears throat> the outside looking in seems like he's doing a good job. And I think the big thing for me was that he's lost key players like every year. So I suppose my question would be, from the outside looking in, like you lost um, Marquise, obviously went and went, in my opinion, a bit of a sideways move in the end to Portsmouth. Um, Kieran sadly has gone to Rotherham. I think his contract was up. How was it? And what, well, first question is why is it Doncaster keep losing key players? Well, I think that's more on the club philosophy than, than Darren's. You know, we, under Darren Ferguson, we had a bit of a policy of trying to really encourage the academy players coming through and we give them long term deals. And to be honest, none of them worked out. Uh, Liam Mandeville got a three-year deal and he ended up burning out. He's in non-league now. I think he's at Chesterfield. Um, we had a couple of other players. Um, I won't even bother mentioning the names, to be honest. No offence to them, but they're not even in <laughs> they're not even in the National League level now, you know. And we gave them two, three-year deals and they're just taking up money on the wage budget, really, aren't they? And I think that kind of scared the club off a little bit. And, and even before the current times, you know, uh, we had to look at more of a one-year with an option or two-year contract model. Um, you know, Kieran Sadlier was a he was a big example of where that can trip you up last season. You know, he signed an 18-month deal when he signed, um, he signed in January 2019, and we offered him a new deal halfway through last season. He just kept dragging his feet with it. Um, you know, he knew that he was one of our best players, he knew that he would be sought after. Um, we were a bit smart in, I suppose, when we went to Rotherham because they're a local rival, understand that they're a championship club. But um, that is probably the main reason for that. Um, John Mark was a little bit different. I think that's a classic case of a player outgrowing the club a little bit. You know, and, you know, teams like Portsmouth, teams like Sunderland, we know came in for him, um, have got that money they can offer. And, and we are not in a position to turn down one, two million pounds for players regularly. I mean, we have done that with Ben Whiteman this summer. But um, yeah, I think there's an understanding for any manager that comes into Doncaster that players probably aren't going to stick around long-term if they are very good players, because un unless we can get into the championship, the the top players in our team are going to be snapped up by sides like that, sides like uh, Rotherham and teams like Portsmouth who are, you know, uh, capable of moving into the championship probably a little easier than we are, which is nothing against us, our level or anything, but um, I don't think anyone really begrudged Marquis moving. Um, and sad sadly, uh, as I say, going to Rotherham were, were a bit unfortunate, but Again, understandable. And um, I don't think there's any problem with our, our contract model. Two years, three years every now and then. I don't think, can't think of a single player other than Ben Whiteman who, who's got a three-year deal. Um, yeah, it's just a case of managing expectations in that regard, I think. Talking about like losing players, the second part of my question was going to be, despite whoever you lose, and I know it's gone sixth to like, I think eighth last year or tenth, and then tenth this year. For the players that you lost in the overhaul that you had, because you lost more than just Marquise last year, um, how good is the recruitment team in getting players in that can, because you're still in with a chance of playoffs since you've lost your big players, you never drop really far down. You're always there or thereabouts. So so how good is the recruitment model and, and who's responsible for that? Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, we've got a bit of a next man up attitude. Um, it, it's changed a lot the last few years, the recruitment, because we've, we've had quite a turnover of managers, not through sackings, just through them moving on or whatever. Um, when Darren Moore came in, I think we kind of reassessed <laughs> went further down the road as I was on about with the two-year contract model. Um, and we brought in Adam Henshaw, 
as our head of recruitment from Shrewsbury. Yeah. And he'd, he'd, he'd got players, a good knack for getting young players on loan there that have ended up going on to better things. Uh, Lewis, is it Lewis? Oh, I can't remember his name, you know. The the Welsh, no, Daniel James, sorry. Daniel, Daniel James, James, yes. At Manchester United, United now. Yes, got him on loan. They got Dean Henderson on loan uh, at Shrewsbury. A couple of players like that who, you know, obviously making their first steps in professional football and have now gone on to be in internationals. Yeah. Um, so he's, he's brought a bit of that to the table. I think Darren has got the the knowledge and the contacts himself through um, his experience in the game at the top level. We, we we tend to look at younger players. We do go into the loan market, but it's for it's for players with a very good reputation, players like Tyrese John-Jules from Arsenal. He's made a good start this season. Josh Sims has come in on loan from Southampton. Uh, Matt Smith from Man City. Again, young players, 20 to 21 years old, but players who have clearly got that ability and, and are expecting to be playing in the top two leagues in the years to come. Um, when we lose players, it is just a case of finding a, a suitable person who can come in, whether that's just on loan for the year, whether it's on a permanent deal, and kind of try and rebuild the squad that way. And we've got used to it. Um, it's been two, three, four seasons in a row now where the summer is involved. Big turnover of players, bringing in just about a dozen new players. Last season, it worked. Uh, we lost quite a good chunk of the team that got to the playoffs. You know, Marquis left. Um, we lost players like Andy Butler. I know he's back now. Um Downing went as well, didn't he? Was it Downing that went? Downing, yeah, he went to Portsmouth as well. When we're talking about recruitment, uh, you talked about like the loan players that you've brought in, but that's been a successful model for you for a while because Herbie Kane was one of your, your better players. I mean, I think for a long time at Sunderland, we were quite good with bringing in the likes of Alonso, Welbeck, Danny Rose in the Premiership, um, but it would get frustrating because then those players would leave and go on to bigger and better things. That happens sometimes to yourself, but do you think that the loan model is to be used correctly in this division? Do you think Doncaster are a good model for how to use the loan system, right? Yes, I think so. It, it does divide fans. It divides our fans. I think every club wants their team to bring through your own players, local players. I think in the modern world, in the modern game, especially in League One and League Two, using the loan market intelligently is a, a way to really give yourself an extra, just a little kick, an extra boost. I'm not sure, well, I know we wouldn't have made the playoffs two seasons ago if we didn't have those loan players. Malik Wilkes scored 15, 16 goals. Herbie Kane was superb uh, in midfield. You know, you don't have to fill your team with them, but if you get the right the right balance with it and you get some real quality players in, I don't see the problem with the loan market. Um, getting a player on a one-year loan from a Premier League team, it's not any different to me than getting a player on a one-year permanent contract. You know, it's yeah. just the way it's just the way things are now. Uh, I'm a fan of the loan system because we use it right. We bring in players with that quality. Grant McCann did a good job with it. Darren Moore's done an excellent job with it as well so far. Um, you know, players that we've got this season, like Sims and Matt Smith, they're excellent. So when it comes to previous managers, you you spoke about Gavin, uh, Gavin McCann, Grant McCann. <laughs> Gavin McCann's obviously one of our former players. Um, with Grant McCann, I remember when he went to Hull, and let's just say that really hasn't worked out for him at all. Um, I didn't mean to stop you in your tracks there, but I'm kind of curious what's... What's Doncaster fans' opinions of uh, Grant McCann now? <laughs> oh, I mean, <laughs> uh, not good. Let's put it that way. Uh, he is not a popular man around here at all. It's a real shame because that year he had here, everybody really was galvanised. He was fantastic at whipping up the fans and and the way that we played was very, it was very like in-your-face, no-fear style, which we're not used to really seeing. We've very always been pragmatic, patient football kind of thing. He did a great job that year, but uh, the way that he left, the manner of his departure really, really left a sour taste. Um, and I think the main reason for that is because he didn't practice what he preached. Um, as that summer was coming up, 
uh, to start in after the playoffs. You know, he made a big song and dance about loyalty and um, wanting to be here kind of thing. All those kind of things that managers say about players who were out of contract. Uh, players like Danny Andrew went to Fleetwood. Um, Andy Butler was one of them as well. He ended up at Scunthorpe. Um, Marco Morosi left for Coventry. A lot of players who were out of contract who we'd offered new deals to. Um, and Grant McCann was kind of publicly, um, not slating them, I suppose, but kind of getting on at them and saying, well, if they don't want to be here, they can leave. And I want players who want to play for Doncaster. And he did make a big thing about Danny Andrew in particular leaving, saying that he didn't deserve the contract that we'd offered him. And basically, you know, stuff you. And then three, four days after that was all over the press, uh, Hull City had come in for him and he was gone, gone in a flash. So it left a very bad taste. A lot of Rovers fans call him the snake. <laughs> um, and I think m- many of us were looking forward to playing Hull this season if uh, there were any fans in, because I think he'd probably get dogs abuse. It was We actually had a friendly lined up with them last summer when he just left and they ended up changing the uh, ticket in so that you could only buy tickets in the opposite stand to the dugout. Because I think they anticipated... <laughs> him getting abuse or maybe even projectiles thrown at him. But he's not a popular man at all. And I think it's all down to the hypocrisy, I suppose. And so, you know, whether you should have glee in another team's failure or not, um, we, a lot of us were very happy to see him fail miserably last season at Hull. But he's made a good start this year, unfortunately. Yeah, he's done all right. <laughs> he brought in a lot of, like, because he signed Malik Wilkes, didn't he? He brought yes. him in permanently and stuff like that. So he, because he nicked, obviously, <clears throat> George Honeyman from us and stuff like that. But I, I remember it being... I remember being surprised he did so badly. Then I looked at the players that he'd signed and I was like, well, he's pretty much signed the League One team. So maybe it's not a surprise he's doing sort of all right this season. Um, back onto the, the team that you have at the moment. Obviously, there's been, like any League One team, a, a host of changes in the squad. You've already mentioned the three that have really stuck out for me. Uh, Josh Sims, obviously from Southampton, and Matt Smith has come in from, from City. I, th- I think John Jules is, is out injured on, on Saturday, but how good yes. have those three been? Because they've come from Arsenal, City, Southampton, two, three, three big clubs, realistically. Yeah, they've been fantastic. Um, I mean, we've only seen any of them for half a dozen games or so due to, well, we'd signed Sims and Smith late in the window and John Jules unfortunately got injured. But they all just look a cut above, in my opinion. You know, players who've been schooled in those top, top academies, they've got that extra yard of pace and they've got that extra bit about them intelligently on the ball and stuff. A bit more quality than really anyone who's not gone through those academies has got. Um, They're just difference makers. Sims, he's come in, he got an assist on his debut scored in the next game and another assist, and he's just kept it going. Um, his, his pace is unbelievable for a player at this level, and it's he's not one of those rapid wingers where you just see them bombing up and down. It's just he sets off, and he just has that extra yard that most players in this league, especially defenders, don't have. Uh, Smith has tied everything together really nicely in midfield. That was the last position we really needed to replace from last season. Ben Sheaf we had on loan. Uh, he was like the... Awesome kind of well, wasn't he? Ben yeah, Sheaf, that's yeah. right. Kind of a holding midfielder, but he would he would switch very fluidly with Ben Whiteman in the roles. One would drop back, one would take the ball on further forward. And without the player to complement Whiteman for the first few games, we were a little bit lost in midfield because we only really had more attack-minded midfielders. And when Smith's come in and um, played alongside Whiteman, he's really just tied everything together really nicely. And, and he's also been able to get forward and contribute further forward. He scored against Wimbledon a couple of weeks ago. Um, so they've, they've just had that extra bit of quality. And again, as I said before, Players that we wouldn't be able to get that kind of quality permanently. We wouldn't be able to find that kind of quality from other teams at this level. So to get players from Arsenal and Manchester City on loan, it's it's a big help. Um, John Jules as well. He scored a fantastic goal at Charlton uh, and he just looks very good. He looks qualified.
quality. Whether he can get fit again and get the goals would be uh, another story, but we're definitely hopeful. Talking of um, sort of players that you've brought in as well, I think I was going to ask who else there is to watch. I know for a fact James Coppinger will always have to be watched until he's about 75, because I think he's been playing since he was about 12 and he's now, what, 62, 63? <laughs> um, but which other players should we be looking out for? Where Where is it that Doncaster, you think, could damage something? Because we are fragile. I've got to be honest, we are fragile at the moment. I think it's the case of... Uh, it'll be the midfield battle. I think if Ben Whiteman is allowed time and space on the ball to be the playmaker, I always I always compare him to an NFL quarterback because he 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 stands back and he just sees the field exactly as you need to see it. His vision is fantastic. His distribution is brilliant. Very very rarely does he put a foot wrong, put a pass astray, and he's chipped in with goals as well. I think he's our second top scorer this season with four. Um, if he is allowed time on the ball, and if we are as a team are allowed to get the ball to the flanks. Uh, I think we can really damage Sunderland. Our fullbacks like to push on, uh, a lot of overlapping, a lot of underlapping as well. Um, and again, the pace of Sims, the pace of John Taylor on the other side of the, the wing, that's going to be a problem, I think, for Sunderland. Um, I'm trying to think back to last season, um, the games between the two sides. We we tried it a, a bit differently at Stadium of Light and we played through the middle a lot. We um, Horrendous we game, that. It was on Sky, wasn't it? Friday <laughs> yes, night it on was. Sky. Yes. <laughs> Terrible game. Horrendous. Uh, I, you know, I was I, mean, I was at the game, and I just re- remember going in thinking we're going to get Mullard here. Um, I think you 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 did a job on us in the Christmas game a few weeks before. Great day out, yeah. fantastic day out. Uh, yes, but then yeah. the the Friday night was yeah the best part about that night is I remember going to Domino's Pizza afterwards. That's the, <laughs> that's the only thing about it. It was live on Sky. And it was a typical nil nil. But yeah, nil nil. But I think you you sort of did a job on us that night as well because we were bang on form at that point, and and I think you were probably the better of the two sides if I remember rightly. Yeah, we 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 did do, what we did. We changed it up because in the first game, uh, we were really overrunning midfield. I think it was uh, whoever you had in midfield that day. I can't quite remember if it was was it before Honeyman left or it might have been after. Um, yeah, it was. It was after. It, so it would have been Power and Dobson maybe in the middle. Dobson, obviously. Dobson, that's the one. Yeah, it was Dobson. Uh, we left Ben Sheaf on the bench for the first time all season, and Dobson. Uh, was able to just kind of take over in midfield, and then further forward, I think it was Gooch and maybe Maguire, who just had a bit of a field day because yeah. we just overrun. So Darren Moore completely adjusted it for the, the return match. We put Reese James, who's a left-back. Well, you know Reese James, of course. Put him in midfield, uh, which we've started doing again this season. I think that was the only time he did it last season, but this season we've been putting Reese James in midfield a bit more and he's he's just kind of changed it up. We've been a bit more sure defensively as we were in that game and it kind of allowed our creative players a little bit more room to breathe in that match. Um I'm just trying to. I'm wonder wonder if he might try something like that again. Maybe put Reese James in midfield on Saturday. Try and give Magda Gomez or James Coppinger a bit more room to work in. And if that's if that will come from midfield, I think for us to answer your question plainly. Yeah. Uh, if our if our midfield can control the ball more often than not, then I, th- I think we can do some damage. Has it made much of a difference you've been at home or away this season? Because without having fans, I mean, Sunderland haven't lost a. A home haven't lost more than one home game a season since we've came down. We've already lost two and three if you include the cup game as well. So obviously, there's in my opinion, there is a difference there. People say we are easy to play against Southern at the stadium. Like, evidently not, because we're not there and we've lost more. But are you noticing a difference with fans being there, or is it just is every game just a game? I think it's it's that. I think every game is just a match between two teams, you know, yeah. unless the weather plays havoc with it, really. The the extra element of the I'm just having a look at our results to just double check where we've been winning and losing. I think it's pretty even split, but 
you know, we went to Charlton early on in the season and they're actually fans at that game. It was one of the pilot games that they ran just before they decided oh, to yeah. stop us all going back. Um, and the, obviously 1,000 Charlton fans in and, and we annihilated and we won 3-1, dominated. Um, and whereas there's been home games as well where uh, you look in the second half, we're not winning or we're losing and you think, you know, if they just had that extra bit of the crowd kind of egging them on or getting on the backs a bit more and telling them to get going, you might you might have seen a, an extra level from us. I think the lack of fans has completely nullified home and away uh, as, as elements, um, which is a real shame. Also proves just how vital fans are yeah. uh, to football in general. And, and the sooner we get us back in the grounds, I think the better. I don't really think there's been a difference. You know, ordinarily, I'd be looking at Rovers away at Sunderland and saying, be nice if we nick a draw this season. If there's still no fans by the time we go to Stadium, Mart, I'll be saying it's just another game. It's just yeah. like being at home. It feels like that as well because just no matter how loud I shout, and I've shouted a, a, quite a bit the past few weeks, they can't hear us, unfortunately, no. from up here in Scotland. Um, on your sort of recent form, <laughs> it's remarkably odd. I mean, I've looked at the results and you've got a 4-1 win over Ipswich, a 1-0 win at Portsmouth, a 1-0 win over Lincoln. So that sounds like brilliant. You should be in top six. But then you've got a 2-1 defeat at Plymouth, a 2-2 draw at Wimbledon, and a 2-1 home defeat at Crewe. So I've, I've literally wrote here on my question, what's going on there? <laughs> so I'm just asking that plainly. We're, we're all trying to work that one out. I've, I've, I've written a lot of words uh, on my website this month and last month about that. Uh, the word I have to keep coming back to is consistency. In nearly every one of those games you've mentioned, we've played well. We've had a lot of chances and we've either just not taken them or, you know, it's just been a bit of bad luck sometimes. The the Plymouth defeat, 2-1 away at Plymouth, was a really poor performance. Uh, three days after we lost at home to Crew in a game that we sh- shouldn't have lost. We, you know, we had loads of chances. I think we had 25 shots on goal. They had about six. They won 2-1. Two good goals, but it shouldn't be happening, really. Not as often as it is. You know, we lost at Wigan. Uh, I don't think Wigan have won a game since. They're bottom of the league. And uh, we had five or ten really guilt-edged chances in that first half, didn't take any of them, and then conceded a sloppy goal in the second half, lost 1-0. Um, we seem to step up against the better teams. It seems once a game's settled in 10, 15 minutes, if the other team are playing good stuff and trying to get some football going, we're doing the same. We're like, all right, we we can match you. Uh, Ipswich came to the keep mode, and I, I don't know if they took the lead or if it was maybe 1-1 in the first half, and we just took over and we just dominated and, and won 4-1 after, you know, the game started. We felt our way into the game and realised they were playing football. They were coming out and attacking us and we could handle it. Teams that sit back, um, teams that kind of pack the defence and don't make mistakes, we're finding it really difficult to break them down. It was the same with Wimbledon, which was our last league game. Um, went behind twice against the run of play. I think Wimbledon had not had a shot on goal. We dominated 25 minutes. They took the lead. Um, good finish, but... How is that happening? One chance, one goal. We're not taking our chances. Luckily, we nicked a draw in the last minute thanks to a deflected Coppinger shot. But it's it's frustrating. Uh, however, it's a young side. We're still kind of trying to find the, the best 11. And I think that kind of consistency in game management doesn't really come in that first month or two of the season. I don't find it usually does anyway for these sorts of teams. You know, we've got five or six new players playing. Um, and we've we've had a few injuries at key times that have meant we've not really had a consistent run of 11 playing either. And I think that may be part of it. Maybe playing Saturday, Tuesday every week nearly as well isn't helping. But... Yeah, it's a weird season in any way as well, yeah. isn't it? Because it's like, I think I think it was Eddie of Gillingham fan I had on the other week said it, was, it feels like a ghost season. But if you think of the, from the players' perspective, they had the best part of like three or four months off, they've mm. came back. And at this level as well, you've got a lot of people 
that that could probably pinpoint across every side in the league that probably didn't know where their future was for a long time and were training by themselves. Yeah. Um, so I suppose you've got to take that in, into account as well. But I mean, basically, you're a dozen games into the season. I think if you're classing all the games, including your league games, I think you've basically won half of them. Is that right? Yes. Yes, that's yeah. right. So yeah. if you could, how would you sum up the opening quarter of the season Like in terms of are you positive moving forward? Are you, is there anything that's concerning you that you hope doesn't turn into a problem on a, a regular basis? So how would you sum it up? I think it's been a decent start. I'm, I'm certainly more happy than not. Um, I think we've got a lot of good pieces in place. Keeping players fit is going to be crucial because we don't have a massive squad. Yeah. Um, you know, we've lost, we seem to be very short on wingers despite signing three or four. They keep getting injured. The big concern for me would be up front. Um, We've only got two strikers. One of them is John Jules. He's injured. Okenibiri, who has scored a few goals in patches. He's been a bit inconsistent. I think he, I don't know if he responded very well to being dropped at the start of the season when we signed John Jules, because it looked like, for all intents and purposes, he was a guaranteed starter, Okenibiri, but didn't turn out to be the case. Darren Moore isn't one for picking favourites, I don't think. And I think he struggled to really get into the rhythm of the season again once he started coming in off the bench and when he's won his place back. Um, but he has got a couple of goals. I think he's got five now. It's a decent return. Yeah. So the concern the concern would be if if John Jules stays out or if Okinabiri drops form, then we're in a bit of trouble because we've not really got any academy strikers either. It would probably be a case of playing Coppinger up front just because he can do everything. <laughs> but that'd be my main place of concern would be getting in the goals if we can't keep everybody fit. Otherwise, I think we're in good shape. Um, it, unfortunately, with the way the season's been scheduled, late start in extended window, we're only five or six weeks off the transfer window opening again. And that means our best players are going to be in demand again. You know, we, we fought off some measly bids from Barnsley for Ben Whiteman all summer. Will he go in January? Will there be more interest in Tom Anderson? Will we be able to keep Josh Sims, players like that? Um, that's a concern for a month or two down the road. But um, if this squad stays together and enough of them stay fit, I think we'll be in for a good season. In a, uh, well, I was going to say in a utopian world, but they don't exist, I guess. Um, because of how close you were to getting to Wembley a few years ago to play what would have been ourselves against Charlton, and also the way that you've performed and the certain individuals that you have, is Doncaster fans' aims to get into the playoffs? So is that kind of like top 10? Is that your aim? What, what is the aim at Doncaster? I think fans are disappointed if we don't mount a proper playoff push now. Um, yeah. With the bulk of the last 10 to 15 years being spent in the Championship or competing at the top end of League One, there is now that kind of inbuilt expectation to be at least a top 10 side. I think certain things, circumstance, if we lose players, obviously this, the way things have gone this year, people won't get too mad if we're 7th, 8th, ninth. You know, no one was really too upset that we finished ninth last season as it ended up shaking out with the um, truncated season. But if if we're meandering through mid-table, uh, not having good football, not having wins regularly, I know it sounds simple, but, you know, that's when the fans do start to get annoyed, I think. I think the club, from all the noises I hear, everything I read, the club aims to get into the championship. There's no desperate rush to get there because we're well aware that there are some very big teams in this league now, like yourselves, like Ipswich, uh, like Charlton, um, who are obviously always going to have bigger resources and more chance to get promoted. But it's a tough league. We know that we've got a chance. We proved two seasons ago sneaking into sixth on the last day of the season um, and very nearly knocking Charlton off. I, I mean, I personally think we would have had a good chance of winning at Wembley as well. 
against uh, us. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. We don't win at Wembley. You would have gone up, yeah. so don't worry about uh, that. <laughs> I, you know, I I did. You know, not to bring up the Netflix documentary, but I did watch as that played out, thinking it, you know it would have been great if this would have been us. <laughs> you yeah. Know, and, and, you know. Um, so I think there's an understanding with the fans that we should be able to compete for the playoffs every year. But if we miss out, if we come close like last season, but not quite. No one's going to go mental. No one's going to really get upset about it. I don't think. I might be wrong. People listening to this might disagree. Uh, you know, the minimum aim is to be a solid, competing top half team who will push for a playoff place every year. But we know it's a dog fight. We know it's difficult. The hope is to get into the championship in years to come. We've been there before. We've been promoted twice out of this league. We know how to do it. Um, right now, with Darren Moore in charge, with some of the players we've got, I feel we've got as good a chance as we've had for the last decade to do it and uh, then it's you know then who knows but yeah it's kind of high expectations but not unrealistic I don't think yeah no that sounds that sounds exactly as I would have described the truth be told onto a team that's um, God knows where our expectations are I think we all want to be out this league we're all done with it um, but at the same time we all I think realistically know our team's probably not good enough it's an interesting question it's getting more interesting season on season but what are your thoughts on on Sunderland in League One and and kind of how much realistically we've struggled to to mount a serious challenge for automatic promotion, let alone not even the playoffs last year? What what's your thoughts on it? Well, as you know, I live in Newcastle, so I live in the northeast. I, I work with a couple of Sunderland fans, and they're not very optimistic people, to be honest. I don't really blame you um, for that. Uh, so I, I do keep a keen, close eye on it, especially with how the media reports around here. Um, I mean, it's a pessimistic area in general because obviously Newcastle always think they want better for themselves as well. <laughs> um, I think I'm, I'm not surprised that Sunderland have struggled to get back out of the league. We've seen this with clubs of comparable size before. Leeds spent four or five years down here. Sheffield United spent six years in this league and really, yeah. most of the time, were really underwhelming, um, in my opinion. Uh, and they're now, I mean, those they're both in the Premier League again now, so it can soon turn around. I think in this league, you have to find the right mix of Knowledge of the division, getting players in who are really experienced at this level and are functional and having the quality that surpasses the level. I don't know if Sunderland have got the balance right on that front yet, playing-wise. Looking at the squad, there's certainly some very good elements, but um, uh, there's not many that really stand out to me, no, to be honest. There's not. You, know, you, you want a few players for a team like Sunderland, I think, who will be championship-ready if you get promoted. I'm not seeing a lot of that in Sunderland's squad, from my view. Um, the other big thing, which I'm sure you'll agree, is the management and the ownership, which makes a huge difference. It's Mainly that's the reason that clubs like Sunderland end up in this league, end up in this problem. Um, for me, you need to get the right manager, not necessarily a manager who has been around the level and has been here for years, because sometimes they get set in those ways with smaller clubs. Don't know if that's the case for Phil Parkinson or not, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was. Something's not right with him. Yeah, you know, <laughs> sometimes these managers uh, who've been at League One and League Two level for years and years on end kind of get set in their ways and I think don't really think about how to approach it from the perspective of being the big club, you know, kind of punching below their weight um, and kind of treat being Sunderland manager like they are still at Colchester or, you know, Simon Grayson when he was manager for that brief time. It looked to me like he was managing the team like he was still managing Bradford or Huddersfield. I didn't really understand the philosophy with that. Um, and I think that's where it goes wrong as well. As long as you've got the investment from the ownership and, you know, if the manager knows what he's doing, you'll get out of the league because you've got the resource. You should be able to attract the players. So it, it takes incompetence of a big scale, in my opinion, either in terms of management, coaching or recruitment, 
to cause teams like Sunderland to stay down for more than one or two years. You've summed that up perfectly, mate. You can definitely tell that you're closer to Sunderland than most because you've just summed it up perfectly. I couldn't agree more. Um, the next question, whenever I ask, whenever I asked this over the past year and a half prior to last December, the answer would always be Aidan McGeevy. And it probably still could be if you had if you had half a chance of playing on Saturday, which obviously he doesn't at the moment. Um, but which players at Sunderland do you admire or, or fear? Where do you where do you think we could damage you? And I, I agree with you. I don't think we're a remarkable side at all, but there's one or two half-decent players there. Who's the ones that concern you, if any? I like Lyndon Gooch. I like him quite a lot. Um, he he played here on loan back when Sunderland were in the Premier League. Oh, he um, did? He, I think Darren Ferguson maybe played him injured a lot of the time he was here, so we didn't get the best of him. I know he was only young. Um, but ever since then, I've followed him or tried to keep a close eye on his career, and to me, he's progressed very well. I think he's been one of those players who's benefited from the team falling down the levels. He's had his chance and he's taken it. He's a threatening player and he always seems to play well against us. He's got an eye for goal. He, he can cause problems for defenders and midfielders. So I, I like him. I really like Luke 09 as well. Uh, Luke 09 had a really good game at the Stadium of Light against us last season. Um, a lot of Sunderland's attacking play came down that flank with him to the byline, caught him back, getting in amongst it. Really impressed with him. Um, to be honest, beyond that, I, there's not a lot of players to me that I look at and go, wow, I wish they were in my team. wish they yeah. were in the Rovers team. There's, there's really not a lot. Um, defensively, every time I watch a Sunderland game, every time you come up against us, it looks a bit shaky. It looks a bit <clears throat> rudimentary. And again, I think it's a case of having players in your team that maybe are, are more bogged down in this level than above it, so to speak. Um, I wouldn't swap uh, Tom Anderson for any Sunderland defender, for instance. Um, but Gooch, 9 um, Maguire as well. He always surprises me, Chris Maguire, because on paper I always look at him and think, I'm not that worried, but then he plays and he seems to have just a couple of chances that you think, wow, you know, how's he got into them positions? How's he done that? Or he, he finishes a chance that I don't think he's he should finish, but he does. So he's he's got a bit of that surprise factor, I suppose, in him more than I would expect. But depends on, not, on the mood he's in, I think, with Chris Maguire. Unfortunately, he's not been in the mood for a few weeks. <laughs> um, so so you might you might get the Maguire you're half expecting as opposed to not expecting this maybe time. So. <laughs> Hopefully he makes me eat my words, but there you go. <laughs> But yeah, um, I mean, Charlie White's obviously had a really good start to this season, which has come out he of has. nowhere, seemingly to me. I mean, he, I think he's already matched or bettered last season's goal tally, hasn't he? So, he's on five or something like that, I think. Yeah, he's done yeah, all right. So it's, it's not a bad, bad effort for a player that, to me, when he was at Carlisle, looked like he could go on and be a really good player. I think when you're young and you're scoring goals, if you've got the physicality, you think, wow, that guy, he could really push on and be a top-level player. It's not quite happened for him. I think people thought he'd maybe do a bit better when he went to Sunderland, but he's he's in form now. And if, you know, whatever's working there is working for him. If he keeps that going, he's going to be hard to live with because he's got the physical presence. Um, I'll be really interested to see how he does up against uh, Tom Anderson and Joe Wright on Saturday, actually. He's our, he's our best striker, but it's not a mean feat right at the minute with uh, Will Grigg and Danny Graham being his only competitors. But on a serious note, he's, uh, I think he's... It's easy to say, but he's had his first like pre-season in him as much as it's been a weird one since he's been here. So maybe it's just that. But he's looked... If not a world beat, he looks like he can score goals or lay them off these days, which is nice. But um, I'm, I'm very much in this, the same opinion of you. I, I don't think we're that much of a, a great side outside of a couple of players on their day. But um, I'm going to try and be positive going into Saturday's game. And I'm going to try and take us for a 1-0 win. Because right when I'm least expecting someone to do all right, we end up doing OK. Much like Doncaster last year, which many of us really enjoyed. Um, but what's your predictions for Saturday just to finish off? 
I think it's going to be difficult for us to win the game. I, I, I guess we're, we've been very Jekyll and Hyde against Sunderland. You know, I've watched four games now between the two sides over the last couple of years. Sometimes we've stepped up, sometimes we've crumbled a bit. I, I think we, we we looked intimidated when we played the season before last at Stadium of Light, lost 2 0. Um, the was it Maguire? No. It was um, it was Morgan 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 and, uh, you know yes Charlie Wake Charlie Wake Friday night yes. game another Friday Easter Easter Friday I think it was good yeah, so Friday yes. Friday afternoon that one yeah I remember was it Morgan that he scored a cracking goal um, yeah but we we kind of went into our shells in that one and I think we did a bit in the Christmas game at the Keepmount last season but then uh, in in the return game in January we really stood up and and showed no fear I think if we come out and tell ourselves it might be easy with no fans as well if we come out and tell yeah. ourselves. Sunderland are just another side in League One. You know, we've beaten Ipswich, we've beaten Lincoln, we've beaten Portsmouth in Charlton. Um, I think we, if we have the right mentality, we can give it a go. And I, I like to think we can win the game, but I'm not going to nail my colours to the mast and say we're going to win in 3 0. And no, I don't think so. I think it'll be tough. Uh, you know, I normally hedge my bets with predictions and go for a draw. But um, I think we've got enough quality to beat Sunderland. It's just whether we turn up on the day. Yeah. Adam, thanks so much for popping on as always. Nice to find you. Nice course. to find you chat for the first time officially for the internet. But I know. <laughs> <laughs> but good luck for this evening. Appreciate you coming on, mate. Thank you. Thank you. You too. It's been great to be on.